Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I am in my car now. Headed to go get tested for coronavirus. Possible exposure on Saturday. Now it's Thursday. Five days later, feeling achy, tired, headaches. Great, stay, 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 sir. Yes, I am. Uh, get your QR code, please. Yep. CNN senior writer Thomas Lake took his first coronavirus test in early September, about six months into the pandemic, in the parking lot of an abandoned Kmart northeast of Atlanta. I have to move your head or your nose while the swab is inside there. I've heard that it hurts. I wouldn't say it hurts. Afterwards, your eyes will immediately water. Tom and his wife had been very careful for the last six months. No travel, no hairstylists, no friends or relatives inside the house. If either of them ran an errand in a crowded place, they came home and went straight to the shower. His wife even bought a gadget that disinfected their phones with ultraviolet light. And then, in the space of a few seconds on a dark country road, Tom flung all that caution into the moonlit night. In today's episode, Thomas Lake tells the story of a dilemma he faced on a two-lane road in rural Georgia and his fear that his wife and children might get sick because of a snap decision he had made. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. This all began on a Saturday in early September. At home in the pandemic, I sometimes felt trapped, almost claustrophobic, deprived of variety and new experience. That afternoon, I loaded our three older children into the minivan and drove about 80 miles from Metro Atlanta to Yona Mountain a solitary peak near the end of the Blue Ridge. The trail was stunningly beautiful, with sunlight filtering through the canopy and boulders crowned with deep green moss. We reached the summit around 5.30 and looked for an opening in the foliage so we could admire the view. A path led toward an overlook above the valley, but there were no guardrails, no warning signs. This was a wild mountain, not a tourist destination, and at the end of the path was a great and terrible void. We raced down the mountain against the oncoming night. The western sky turned orange and then pale, almost white. Darkness followed, leaving us stumbling down the rocky trail, and we reached the end just after the sole of my sneaker broke apart. The children drank the last of the milk from the cooler. I felt exhausted, and also better than I'd felt in a long time. It happened about 15 minutes later, on a winding two-lane road in the middle of nowhere. First, I saw the smartphone, this white-blue rectangle, waving in the dark. Then I heard a man calling for help. Let me say this. I don't stop as much as I used to. 
almost never, if I'm honest. I'll see a car on the roadside, think for a second, and then tell myself I don't want to put the children at risk. It's a convenient excuse, especially during the pandemic. Keep moving. Avoid strangers. Save yourself. Somehow this felt different. Maybe it was the setting, the remoteness of it all. Or maybe it was the sound of his voice. I stopped the van, opened my window, and yelled. He appeared at the front passenger window, a young man in a white t-shirt, his mask dangling from one ear. I rolled down the other window. What was I expecting? I don't know. Maybe a car wreck with severe injuries? Maybe someone having a stroke? This was nothing like that. He seemed a little drunk. He said he'd been in the car with his girlfriend, and they'd had a fight, and he'd gotten out, and now he needed a ride home. I wished he would go away. No one outside our household had entered this vehicle in at least six months, and I had foolishly left our masks at home, believing we wouldn't need them. I told the man we were being careful what with the virus and all. Tried to say no without saying no. He said he was being careful too, and he had kids too, and could he please have a ride home? He kept standing in the window, kept not going away. It's easy to keep driving when you see a car on the shoulder, but there's something about the sight of a human face at close range, and there was no telling what misfortune might find him on a walk at night down a lonely road. I felt the heavy weight of the words of Jesus, the call to help a stranger in need. Okay, I said, and asked him to put on his mask. He did, and opened the door, and got in and shut the door. I prayed a silent prayer and kept the windows open. I asked him his name. He said it was Johnny, and today he turned 29. Happy birthday, I said. Johnny directed me to the nearest town. My hands gripped the wheel as I thought about contagion. Behind us, the children were remarkably quiet. He told me to go straight. I pointed out a sign that said, dead end. He thought for a moment and told me to turn left. I complied, wondering where we were going. Left, right, left. A strange town on a strange night. Johnny was mostly polite, but he did swear a lot, as some people do when they're drunk. He said he worked part-time at a restaurant and had two young children. He held up his phone and showed me a picture of his girlfriend. Then he got a call, apparently from the girlfriend. He said something angry and hung up. I kept following his directions. He said we were almost there. Five days later, on my way home from the coronavirus test, I was thinking out loud. Honestly, I can't decide what I hope the result will be. I think I want to be negative. I don't want to have this virus. I certainly don't want to pass it to anyone else. But I must admit there's also a part of me that sort of wants to have done with all of this. The next morning, I checked my phone. All right, an email from no reply result with the subject line, your COVID-19 test results. My heart is pumping a little, a little pounding. Thank you for allowing Georgia Department of Public Health to support you at this time. Your test results are now available at the following link. Test result, 
Negative. Well, I'm glad about that. I'm also a little confused because <laughs> it makes me wonder why I've been feeling the way I've been feeling this past week. Was it a false negative? Apparently not. Days passed and my symptoms disappeared. The children seemed a little tired that week, but no one got very sick. Later in September, I took another test. Negative again. I don't know what caused my symptoms. Maybe I never will. This I do know. The world is full of risk and wonder. It's easy to keep driving, to leave the doors closed and the windows up. I've done it again and again. But if I hadn't stopped on that lonely road, I would have missed this moment. We pulled up to Johnny's rundown apartment complex. Thank you, he said just before departing. Love you. I hesitated for an instant, more from surprise than anything else. Men do not say these things lightly. But it was that kind of night. We were past the guardrails. Love you too, I said, and drove off with the wind rushing through the open windows. That story from CNN's Thomas Lake. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back Monday. Thanks for listening. Coronavirus Fact vs. Fiction is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is the executive producer. Felicia Patinkin is the senior producer along with Amanda Seeley and Nadia Kunang from CNN Health. Raj Makija is the senior manager of production operations. This week's episodes were produced by Anne Lagamayo, Emily Liu, Aaron Mathewson, Evan Chung, Madeline Thompson, Rachel Cohn, Zach St. Louis, and Zoe Saunders. Nathan Miller is our engineer, and David Toledo is the team's production assistant. Special thanks to executive producer of CNN Health, Ben Tinker, as well as Ashley Lusk, Courtney Coop, and Daniel Cantor from CNN Audio. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.